Okay, let's just uh, commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Gracious Lord, it's uh, a wonderful privilege to gather as your children, as your church, and worship you, our God. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can even join with the saints of old in singing hymns of praises that they can sing way back down to the centuries. And yet our voices are all one. This is up in wonderful that you are the sound of many blessings. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and we can pour out our hearts, we can pour out the depths of our soul, we can pour out our sin before you, O God. You, O God, have pity and mercy upon us. And you, O God, bless us beyond uh, understanding the overwhelming abundance. We thank you, Lord, for your great way of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that. When Jesus died upon the cross, it was not just to forgive us for our sins, but it was to deliver us from sin totally and uh, work all through our whole life, making us acceptable uh, for uh, our final destination when we come to meet the new world. No, Lord, that that final work is not done until Jesus returns again, but Lord, we do look forward with great eagerness. Jesus coming and us being like him. But bless our time together, bless your word, it's powerful and effective. We pray, Lord, that it, as we open it this morning, that you will use it for us to do that which you so to do. And we just ask this in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, we're continuing in our study of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. I'll just read it and then. Let's start in. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or cruel joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, no doubt, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. If you look at that, the way that passage is made up, it uh, starts in the heights of glory, and verses 1 and 2, and then uh, it sinks to the depths of depravity and God's righteous judgment in verses 3 through 7. And this is typical of our Christian life. We can be like Peter, James and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus as he is glorified with Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine what that must have been like for those disciples? It'd have to be the closest thing to being in heaven without actually being there. It's a place where we want to stay and dwell, just as Peter wanted to dwell there. Such an Amazing, uplifting, soul absorbing experience they had. But Jesus takes his disciples back off the mountain, down onto the plane of everyday life where it's hard. You've got to grit your teeth tight for you. The other disciples at that time, down on the plane, were being rubbished by the crowds because they couldn't pass the demonic spirit out of the young boy. It would have been humiliating and soul-destroying the experience for them to have. But it's on the plane where Jesus wants them and us to live our lives. Mm. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9, it sums this up perfectly. It says, We know we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. Do you know that? You are of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The sooner we recognise this and own it, the 
better. We are in we are in this world, but we are not of the world. God saved us, but he leaves us in this sinful world. It's difficult to live as a Christian in this world. Jesus in his high Christian prayer, Katie was reading, she read another verse. She would have stuck, you would have heard Jesus pray to his father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's a prayer that's ever going to be answered. Is that what Jesus is praying to his father? Being kept from the evil one doesn't mean that Satan's going to lose alone. It means we will never get back into his eternal grip. We will never fall back under his total dominion. We will never be taken back into his kingdom. We could be like Job and be seriously tested. Everything taken from us. Job admitted at the end of his testing that he had heard of God by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in sackcloth and ashes. Job grew dramatically in knowledge and faith to his testing. Hearing about God from afar off, having to go through this testing before he saw God with his own eyes was the same for him. For him. The picture of Ekim Pantoff. We're not to stay afar off of this period of God. We need to see God with our own eyes. To do that, we must run to God. Peter, when he declared that he would never leave Jesus, that he'd even die with him, was told he would be sifted by Satan. He denied Jesus three times, and he fled like a prayer with hell. Failing in that way meant that his focus shifted from himself, his focus on, and he began to focus on the Lord Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, he stood up and he preached, and thousands came to repentance. Being tested and sifted is the proving of our faith. Our passage today tells us how to live as beloved children of God in this wicked world. This passage starts with, therefore, and as said, said last week, when you see the word therefore, you always ask, what's it therefore? Why did the writer use that word therefore? What's he referring to? And obviously he's referring to something he's already written about. But we're going to go back and have a look. We've done this for the last couple of weeks with Shem. We've been looking at the same things. We're going to continue to look at it this week. Next week, the theme is going to change slightly. We're looking at the same things, but instead of looking at putting off the old self and putting on the new self, we'll be looking at what it is to walk in light rather than to walk in darkness. Paul spends so much time on this because we have to get the way we live as Christians right. So often we don't. In chapter 4 last week we saw verses 17 through to 24 that we are not to walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their minds, with darkened understanding, alienated from God because of ignorance, due to hardness of their hearts. They had become calloused, giving themselves over to all sensualities, greedily practicing every kind of security. We're not to do that. That is not how a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ behaves. <coughs> that is how we work when God dramatically intervened our lives and save us. That is our old self. We're not like that anymore. We have a new self given to us by God. We have been born again by the Spirit of God, given to new life. The old life is gone, and that old self, that old man, was crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on that cross in our place. We have a new self created after the likenesses of God. And true righteousness to followers. Now, this sounds really wonderful, doesn't it? This new self, it sounds like we can go on now living a victorious Christian life, free from sin, glorifying God and all that we do and say. And it would be really wonderful, wouldn't it? But that's not our experience. Our old self seems to be still hanging around, running our lives, 
What am I eating? Why is that? And that old soul is dead. Is he really dead? Sam referred to Galatians 2.20 and it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We have been told that our old self is dead and now Christ lives in me. Is that true? Well, it doesn't feel like it's true a lot of the time, does it? But it is true. The Bible says it's true, so it is true. I am to trust what the Bible says, I'm not to trust what I think, what I feel. Galatians 2.20 goes on to say, the life I now live in the flesh. So let's stop and look back. This life that I live in the flesh, maybe that's the life. My new self is in my old body. I haven't received a new body yet. I'm still in my old fleshly body. My new body is going to be a spiritual body prepared for heaven, fitted for heaven. Understand this, you are not your body. Your body is the vessel in which you dwell. Your body has ingrained into it the simple ways of your old dead self. Your body loves being gratified by simple pursuits. This old body is the body of my old self, used for every simple pursuit that I went after when I was an enemy of God. This old body can't enter into heaven because it's still a simple body. My new self has been put into this old body of flesh, but I am going to receive a new spiritual body to enter into heaven. And life there. I will get it when I'm resurrected from the dead, or when this whole body will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and Jesus returns again while I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Won't that be an amazing experience? Do you ever think about Jesus returning again and suddenly you being changed in the twinkling of an eye? That's Something we should set aside on. Christ's return and being made like him. So, I've been born again, I'm a new creation, I have a new self, but in my old fleshly body. What is that new self? Well, I like the way that Paul puts this. He says, I have been unzipped and God is fine inside. <laughs> Amazing, he says. <laughs> my new self contains the warrior spirit of God. What I can't do, God can now do. Until I get my new body, my new self, with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, has to fight the sin that remains in the members of my old body. It has to put those sins to death. My old self is well and truly dead. My new self resides in my own simple body. Wherever I remain here on earth, my new self, with the help of that warrior spirit, has to subdue and beat into submission by our old superpower. The Bible also tells us about a war between our old nature and our new nature. Your old nature is not your old self. Your old self is well from the dead. Your old nature is the patterns and desires of your old sinful self ingrained into your body. It's your body's learned way of operating. Your body loves the old way of life. Our new nature is the desires put into us by God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us to make us whole. Our new desires of our new self, our new nature, are to gain a war against the old desires that are now ingrained into our Western body. If we understand these concepts, our confidence of victory over sin is greatly enhanced in our life. The Christian life no longer looks like a hopeless life. It looks like that we can live it and we can have victory. That victory may be assured. 
If we get all these terms and concepts all mixed up, the Bible looks like it's contradicting itself. So you have to have a careful understanding of what God's word is saying. That is essential. How do we do that? Galatians 2 20 goes on to say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we all love the doctrine of justification by faith. There's nothing that we could do when we were dead in trespasses and sins, but Jesus came and dealt with our sin and we were made alive and lived and put right with God. Our problem is that we hold on to that truth intellectually in our minds, but we don't live by it. We don't know it experientially. We don't live by faith. We don't let that warrior spirit of God inside us have remain. We are to live by faith. We are to let Jesus loose in our life and he can do what we can't do. Being justified by faith in Christ is not just about getting our sins forgiven by Jesus dying for them on the cross. So that we could have a future in heaven. This death goes far beyond that. Faith in Christ is about seeing the power of sin in our lives being broken and us being able to overcome sin in our bodies as it comes to us through the world of flesh and the devil. It's about being delivered from sin in the here and now. Being justified by faith is about being made whole, being made a vessel that's fit. God's use. Sin is not to have dominion over us, but it does. And we don't live by faith in Christ. Often we don't live by faith in Christ because we've been bad at all. But more likely it's because we're bad students of God's Word. We don't understand who we are in Christ Jesus. I think Jesus got all of our sins forgiven. So now it's so totally up to me to deal with the sin that dominates my life. We try and we try and we try, but we fail and we fail and we fail. You can't break the power of sin in your life. You are wasting your time, your life, your energy in trying to do so. Get this, the power of sin in your life is broken. Jesus broke it. It's broken. You can't do what Jesus did. Stop trying to break the power of sin in your life. You're fighting the wrong fight. That's a fight that has already been fought and won by Jesus. That is a fight that only he could do. If you could do it, you would not need Jesus. We would not need a saviour. He would not have had to come and die and send his blood for us. This sounds confusing a little bit, yes? If the power of sin is broken in my life, why am I in the mess that I'm in? Because of the residual sin that remains in the members of your body. The body is made up of many members. Your mind is a member of our whole body, and it is sin affected. That's why we don't have to think clearly about these things. Our job is to put the death of sin that remains in the members of our body, including our minds. And we do this depending upon, submitting to the Spirit of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit that resides in us. It's still a fight, but it's a fight we can win, because the Holy Spirit is there to enable us. We can overcome sin in our lives because God is there to help us every step of the way. But you've got to accept His help. How do we do that? Galatians 2.20 says, by faith in Christ. We have to believe and rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He did what we could not do. His death was the ransom price that was paid to pick us up out of the kingdom of darkness and Satan and translate us into the kingdom of God's and Son. So we're no longer in the grip of the evil one. His power over us is broken. We're no longer in his kingdom. Do you believe the power of sin in your life is broken? If you're a Christian, it is. Bible tells you so. We have to believe, even though we don't see it. We have to walk by faith, not by sight. Remember what we said? 
When we say the members of our body, we mean every member. That includes your mind. Don't trust the way you think. Only trust what God's Word tells you. God's Word is a lamp and a preacher and a wire to our mind. You have to use God's Word. Now, one of the greatest things that we can ever believe from God's Word is this first two verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Faith and offering and sacrifice to God. That's just an amazing statement. He imitators of God as beloved children. Wow! Is it even possible? Can we imitate God? That word imitate there is actually the word for mimic. We are to mimic God. Is that possible while we're living here in this world that's under the power of the evil one? Imitate God? Well, we must be able to do it because God's word tells us to do it. It's true that there are many attributes of God that we can't imitate. We can't imitate his glory. We can't imitate the fact that he is eternal. Or we can't imitate his majesty. We can't imitate his omnipotence, the fact that he's all-powerful. Or his omnipresence, that he can be everywhere all at once. Or his omniscience, that he knows everything at all times. These are attributes that belong to God and God alone. They are things that make God God. These attributes of God that we can do, there are, because He gives them to us. God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He expects us to be holy. We are to imitate His holiness. Holiness, as I said, means being set aside and used to God. It's the same as righteousness. Believers are to be righteous. Jesus has given us His righteousness. There's justice, mercy, compassion, goodness, love, tenderness, loving kindness, faithfulness, forgiveness. These are all attributes of God. Attributes of God that we are to show to manifest. They are to be the large part of our life and living. Because they are precursors to the fruit of the Spirit and manifesting in our life. Why are we? we are his beloved children. And this is where Christians step into a completely different realm to anything the world knows anything about. Christianity is not about being moral. There's some very good moral people in the world. That is how they have been taught to live and that's how they choose to live. But they do it for goodness sake. They do it for morality's sake. It makes them feel good about themselves. They do it for their sake, but they do not know nothing about being a child of God. Being good and living a moral life won't get you into heaven. Because of indwelling sin in your body, you can't be good enough. You can't be moral enough. You have to be perfect, and only Jesus is perfect. You have to be born again. You have to have God dwell inside you. You have to become a child of God get into this community. There are people who are listening to this today that might live a very good moral life, but they aren't born again, they aren't the other children of God, they're outside the kingdom of God. Christians do some things and not other things, not for morality's sake, or for goodness' sake, but because they are children of God. We're part of the household of God. We belong to him, we're related to him. God gives us family traits. Family traits that distinguish us as his children make us very different to worldly people. With Christ living in us, we become more like him. We do some things and we don't do other things for the honour of our family, for the church, for the glory of God. Young children love to imitate their parents. Imitating somebody is the greatest compliment you can pay for. We are to imitate our Heavenly Father. This is how we honour 
this world, take our sins upon himself. He knew he would have to turn his back on his only human beloved son, reject him, pour out all of his wrath upon him, so that he could have a relationship with us. Why would God choose to love us so much at the cost of his son? This is love, the son's love, so great for us that he was prepared to leave his throne in heaven. Lay his glory aside, come as a baby, born into a cow speed shop, spend his life trudging the dirty, dusty streets and roads of Palestine, having no home or anywhere to lay his head, being rejected by the people he came to save, dying the most horrible death the Romans could think of, while bearing the foulness of our sin and the full wrath of his father against him. Being rejected by his father and punished by him. Can you really comprehend that? Why would Jesus choose to do that? It's so hard to comprehend. But that's the way that God loves. That is what they played. And that is what God the Father and God the Son did. And it took all that to make us beloved children. The Lord Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf was completely pleasing under God. It was a fragrant offering pleasing to God. And this refers back to the Old Testament sacrifices. God would smell the aroma drifting up to heaven from these sacrifices for sin that were being burnt upon the altar that he was pleased. But those offerings always foreshadowed the ultimate sin offering. Jesus, God's own son, who was the only one who really well did well pleased. Praise God that the Holy Spirit has opened up your eyes to see the truth of this. Over love of Christ for us. But we too are love as Christ love. Christian love is a very different love from worldly love. The Bible tells us that God is love. God's love is other person centered love. While we get sinners, Christ died for the unwise and This world turns that completely round. This world thinks love is God. This is the descendants act. Just switch this phrase on. Just twist the truth. It's all about love as far as the world is concerned. However, love in this fallen sinful world is obviously broken. It must be. It's all about love that we see increasing division, trouble, strife, rebellion, energy in this world. Love as the world knows it is not working. Worldly love is self-love, love and soul, not sacrificial other person-centered love. We've all become little gods. We put ourselves first. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God and some of us have been human since. It's all about you and people loving you. Everybody's priority is to have everybody else love them, think highly of them, put you first. We all do this. And so the logical consequence is that we all end up little islands of self-love. Even in loving someone else, people are loving the ways that person enhances their life, what that person can do, what they can add to their life. It comes back again to self. How that person enriches your life. It's about you. In no way can we enhance or enrich God or anything to do that He still loves us. That is sacrificial love. It costs you to love that way. The Lord Jesus Christ was prepared to give up His life in loving us as enemies. God calls us to love our enemies. He overcomes in, in heaven did not love their lives under death. That is the love that's seldom seen, but when it is, the world pays notice of it. When you forgive those who spiteful and use you, people who see that, you will never get into them. How can you do that, they say? Well, you're showing a quality of the attribute of God that marks you out as his family. You do it because you are a child of God, and God enables you to do it. 
verses 3 and 4. And now I'm really down on the gritty part of the point. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. The word for impurity is pornea, from which we get the word porn or pornography. So tying sexual immorality and impurity to covetousness means a greediness Covetousness is mentioned in verse 5, and there you read that it's interpreted as idolatry. Sex is greedily worshipped as God in this world. But that's not able to be named amongst us. That's what the world does. Put sex in God's place. Covetousness is a secret thing that goes on inside you, in your mind, in your heart. People around about you might know, might not know what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're allowing, but you can be sure that God does. He knows everything in the most important. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says we will be held accountable for what we think. Don't have to do it, you only have to do it. Paul here is writing not to the world, but to the church. He's writing to the church. Church has need to hear this. Jim has said that Ephesus in Paul's day closely resembled the society in which we live today. Diana was a naked, multi breasted god whom they worshipped. They were as decadent as the world around us today. The world exerts a massive influence on us. We think that porn was a modern day problem. Roman dark houses back in those days were covered in porn. Roman society was adrift. As Christians, we are in this world and we see the filth and the evil of the world around about us, but we are not of the world. We have been saved out of it. These things are the old self of God. They have no place with the new self at all. No place in God's children. So, what has God done? Puts you into the church. We were saved while we were in trespasses and sins, and God puts us straight into God's family. We haven't had time to renovate our lives or get our old bodies sorted out. In fact, we can't. We couldn't. We need all the help of God's Holy Spirit to deal with these things, and deal with them we must over the whole period of our new life. God puts us straight in his family like this so that we can help each other stand, understand God's word and deal with that bad remnants of sin in our bodies. We are to be sanctified influences on each other. Our battle with sin is a lifelong battle. We are never to stop fighting. It is a wrestle with expression of love and, spirit, and spiritual forces in high places. It's a fight in which we experience progress. Progress that sin begins to stop dominating your life. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, but sin doesn't rule your life anymore. Paul Tripp in his marriage seminar says that. Men and women in marriage think that God gave them a husband or wife to make them happy. Paul is a marriage counselor who deals with many unhappy Christian couples. You'll be glad to know that he teaches that it's possible to experience happiness in marriage. But that's not God's main purpose in giving you to each other, it's the same. The Bible says that it's through trial and tribulation until we get into the kingdom of heaven. In marriage, you get a lot of trial and tribulation. A lot. God is using that other person in your life to turn you from a self-centered, self-loving, self-centered individual into a God-centered, other person-loving servant of God. He uses our husbands and wives to make us holy. He uses the interaction between us and the church bring about holiness in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. 
We were such. We're not anymore. We're not continuing. We're not to continue being such. We have to help each other with this. To do this, we have to be intimately sharing our lives with each other. As people say today, churches can be messy places because we're involved in the mess of each other's lives. Trying to help each other know the truth of God. If we have these things mentioned in our passage, in our lives, or things mentioned in other passages, such as being envious, gossiper, slander, or backbiter, whatever sin is dominating our lives, we must be informed by the throne of grace and testimony. We must be confessing that we know that Jesus has broken the power of sin in our life, but that's not what we're experiencing. We must be praying, God, help me deal with this. We must ask Him to do whatever it takes. And we have to help each other with this, calling out in each other's lives, hold each other accountable. What will it take? Are you prepared to ask God to take away all sexual desire from you? It's better to enter into the kingdom of heaven as a unit than to fall under God's wrath and hell because you couldn't give up porn. Is that going too far? We've read what Paul says, but in Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, fuck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better. You lose one of the members of your body and your whole body go into hell. My friends, pray yourself by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking Him and praising Him for the victory He has given you over sin and plead with God that it will become a reality in your life. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. Get stuck into dealing with sin in your life. God will help you. In Christ, He has made you whole, and He wants that to be a reality in your life, in your body. If you aren't getting stuck in, if you aren't having a go and dealing with sin, giving Jesus free reign in your life, if you aren't renewing your mind by reading His Word, if you aren't pleading for His name and grace in your life, God will make your life misery. You will be needing to have your own salvation. Any ministry you're involved in will be totally enough and ineffective. Your relationships with fellow Christians will sour. Your lack of relationships with God as your heavenly Father will become very evident. By their deeds, you will know them. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If a man regards sin in his heart, God will not be. If you hold on to sin, God not you. He certainly won't use you. Stop regarding sin in your heart. Get on your knees and ask God to take it from you. Tell him, whatever it takes, God, do it. Verse 4. If you're not in relationship with God, it's reflective in what you say. You'll be hidden talking in a loose, foolish way. If you're thinking dirty thoughts, you'll start talking dirty. What's in your heart begins to find its way out onto your tongue, then into your actions, how you relate to people. Professing Christians engage in purity, speak and behave inappropriately. This is experienced in the church. Such subtle way that gradually becomes blatant. The further you move away from God, the more your speech. James says, does a fountain send forth both sweet and bitter water? A man can pray with the tongue of an angel, but speak with the tongue of a devil. Don't be fooled. That's a person is the devil. If you have turned yourself over to your own foolish mind, you will be talking foolishly. There is lots of ways to talk foolishly. What is it that you constantly talk about? Have you ever stopped to listen to what you're saying? What comes out of your mouth is the issue for love of your life. It is your God. Sadly, many of us professing Christians love to talk a lot about ourselves. Mm. And the whole life is caught up in talking about ourselves and what we're doing. How foolish that is. 
that's what we're doing. Just think about who is God in your life. Remember, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. If that's a reality, why are you talking about yourself? Why aren't you talking about Jesus? Ask God to tear yourself from the throne of your heart so that Christ can sit on you. Make it always about God and Jesus and what they're doing, even if they're doing it with you. Christians will say, I'm hopelessly drifting, dominated by sexual immorality and impurity. You are not drifting, you are choosing it. Don't fool yourself. You're suppressing God's Holy Spirit within you. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who breaks in his power. Believe it. You have the Holy Spirit inside you seeking to sanctify you and make you holy. Romans 8 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Stop resisting him and grieving him. You have the Word of God. You have you become what you look at. What are you looking at? Look at God's word. Read it. Later, you become like you. Romans 8, verses 31 and 32 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given us all that we need to be the person he wants us to be. We just have to utilize the gifts from God. People think that Christians are negative people, they suck all the pleasure out of life. Christians themselves didn't think this way. Old time Puritans wanted to live holy lives, but seeing the world go crazy about sex, some of them began to think that sex was an evil thing, and so they sought to suppress it entirely. Sex is a beautiful gift to us by God. And that's how we are treated. It's a gift. But it becomes a problem when you make it a God. It's the same with any other thing in our life. If we put it in God's place, a good thing becomes a bad thing when we let it loose. When we let God's it take God's place in our lives. The whole emphasis on verses three and four has been about sex taken outside the boundaries that God set around it. Marriage, the bounds that God put around sex between a man and a woman in the marriage relationship actually elevates sex to its last place. Christian marriage is all about learning to trust each other implicitly. You do this by putting God first in your life. You want to have great sex? God has to be first in your life. Tell that to the world. <laughs> when you know your husband or wife is put God first in your life, you can trust them implicitly, and you can fully give yourself to that person in love. You do that as a servant, not self-centeredly, but other person focused. You're not maybe driven by what you can get out of it for yourself. Your desire is to please and bless the other person. It turns lovemaking into something that is truly spiritual. If you're using on and engaging in self-satisfaction, it's all about you. There's nobody else involved. Nobody else to serve, nobody else to bless. It's only self-love. Nothing of God in it. It's cheap and nasty as it can get. Anything that replaces God in comparison to God is cheap and nasty. It will let you down. It will fail to deliver. Not our only are you failing God in the way that He designed you, you are failing yourself, believing the lie, embracing the counterfeit, accepting the cheap and nasty, pursuing a downward spiral of futility. Sometimes sex in a Christian marriage is not great, and that problem arises because your view of marriage is not great. You're probably a great smith from a worldly point of view. But he gave us a Bible and we received a biblical view of marriage. God wants men and women to delight themselves physically with each other. Read the Song of Solomon. Now, I know theologians struggle with this passage of Scripture, but one thing they all agree on is that the way this couple delight in each other is the way that God delights in us, and we are delighting in Him. 
tell. He wants us to love him. We have access to counselors like Paul Tripp, uh, which to his seminars, in which he brings out and applies the truth of God's word to our marriages. In our small group, we're working our way through. Mitch and I did several things years ago, but some of these new ones, we've actually watched two or three times over the last few weeks at our study. Mitch and I were involved in a Bible teaching reform church with 500 couples, men in leadership roles. Mitch and I are the only ones still married. We needed all the help that we get. We're still taking all the help that we get today. Except the help that God gives you. You want to talk about it? See silence. Filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking are out of us, but instead they should be thanksgiving. Thank God. Intimate relationship gives us with each other. It's the world if you've had sex with the crude jokes, the snide remarks, childish carry on. Watch any comedy that degenerates into sexual innuendo and soon turns a robin in the mud. The whole world is all about sex. They made it their God. As I said, anything that they put in God's place is cheaper than us in comparison to him, and that's what the problem says. It's something so low, it doesn't satisfy, as only God can do. When something doesn't satisfy, you have to seek more and more, more of it. You've got to push it down just further and further, but its reward is less and less. Men, and increasingly, young women, are engaging in all the escalating rates today. The more you engage, the less it delivers. The less it delivers, the more you engage. The Christian life is not about quantity or multiple experiences. Even in the sexual relationship between the Christian husband and the wife, without being satisfied in God. Being satisfied in God means that you're not seeking that satisfaction in sex. You view it properly and you're set free to enjoy it physically as God designed it to be enjoyed. Thank God has given you such wonderful things. It really does help to make up for the trials and tribulations that we go through in marriage. Verses 5 and 6. My friends, we like to shoot and our sins, we like to think our sins are forgiven, and nothing worse like this. But Paul says, Be sure of this that everyone, everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, that's the word for porn, or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has let sexual immorality and impurity rule their life, become their God, and they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That term, kingdom of Christ and God, combined here, is only used here in all the scriptures. All of our sin is against God and throws back in the face of Christ. Agonizing, suffering, turning death in our place. Now we are. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of his parents. When I was a kid, it was right at the end of the age of hellfire and brimstone. Preachers, hellfire and damnation was the mark of their ministry. They actually come under a lot of criticism. People saying they're scaring sinners into the kingdom of God. They won't be won over by grace. The undeniable thing is, the Holy Spirit used those so far in being known preachers in revival to bring tens of thousands of people to the kingdom of God. When you read verses 5 and 6, let them bring the whole fear of God into your heart. It's meant to scare you. Let that being scared be a means of grace to seek to find your soul. Those hellfire and brimstone preachers were a means of grace to give multitudes to salvation. The reality is that's what Paul's doing here. Do these words scare you? 
people say that Paul never directly talks about hell, but just talks about God's wrath. And they use that to say that eternal punishment basically becomes a state of existence. This tension lessens the severity of consequences of sin, the cheapness of death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it degrades the honour and glory of God against whom all sin is. The greatest authority in the world of life is Jesus. He talks about it more than anybody else in the Bible. He talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. And when he talks about it, it's eternal. Christians have eternal life, they actually have it now, and it's for eternity. Eternal death, which sinners have now, their injustices and sins continues for eternity. If consciousness of it stops, then so will Jesus is the one who says it. He is the one who knows. He is the one who was set to deal with it. He is the original hellfire and brimstone preacher. My friends, don't take ongoing sin in your life. My friends, take ongoing sin in your life. Seriously. The cost of God dealing with sin was so great that Jesus, his beloved son, have to leave heaven, come to earth, and die for it. God will not let us dishonor his beloved son's death by excusing it or winking it. When we read in Genesis about the mighty power of God in the reality of heavens and the earth, just one spoken word, they kind of run away. But God couldn't speak a word, he couldn't even speak a sentence, he couldn't write a book to deal with our sins. He had to come to him personally in his son and deal with him by dying for him. Don't throw that back in the face of God. We can't imagine the horror of the consequences of those who do. The depths of God's wrath and eternal punishment in hell for those who dishonor what his beloved son has done for us. Brothers and sisters, take note of this thing. Don't become partakers. Some of the disobedience. Paul is clean. I plead with you. Look at God the Father and God the Son and what they have done for you and listen to God's Holy Spirit speaking to you, wanting to fight for you. Don't become partakers of the sons of disobedience. You want to talk about ongoing sin and its consequences in your life? You want to learn more about the way God equips and enables us to build it, to victory over it, to speak to Shen, speak to Tyler, on Zoom, speak to myself. Spend time as often as you can speaking to each other, encouraging each other in your walk of faith. We are beloved children of God. And we all join together as His royal family to help each other as we journey through this world that is in the grip Consider the things you say. They have very your, your conversations taken very seriously. They have eternal consequences. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, your word is a very important word. As Christians, we often live in sin very lightly in our lives. We take no great concern about it. But we pray, Lord, that your word today might speak to our hearts and be empowered, Lord, by this Holy Spirit that lives within us to get serious about sin. Tear ourselves, Lord, from the throne of our own hearts and see that Jesus is seated We desire, Lord, to honour his coming into this world and dying to sin on our behalf. We want to lift up our voices and praise to you, O God, and just thank you, Lord, for the wonderful way of salvation. We want to thank your Holy Spirit for showing us, Lord, the truth of your word. Make your word precious to us, Lord. Make it something that we can't live without. May we always be able to learn more and more about you, O God. About your grace.
last life. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ and what a mighty thing he's done on our behalf. We just commit ourselves to you and pray and ask this in Jesus' name.